I'm having a really fun weekend already because last night we had a big dinner here and a lot of you guys were here but if you can imagine a table that comes all the way down along and back and 62 people just crammed in there, noise, food, communion, wine, it was just, it was incredible. So last night I was on a high and um, you know, even packing up was good. You know when you've gone to a good, like you know when packing up's fine, you're like that, that was a good event. And so we're on the way home, and I took Josiah home and, and Caleb at Stanford as well, and I dropped them off. And so, you know, like, Josiah, he's the master of pesting me. Like, I love him, 100%. But he just knows how to, how to like, stir me. And so the boys get out, and then it, with perfect timing, he quietly says, I really shouldn't have stole that glass of wine tonight. <laughs> Because we had actual grape juice, but then we had wine as well, because it was communion. I'm like, no, you didn't. He's, and then he just is quiet. <laughs> you didn't, did you? <laughs> Joe. And then, <laughs> I'm like, no, nah. he's like, no, nah, I didn't. But he says it in a way that questions his answer. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I'm like, did you have a glass of wine or not? Yes. Is it yes or is it no? And it took all the way from Palm Beach to Eleanora to get the truth out of him. He didn't steal a glass of wine and I'm launched into the triad of like consequences. Firstly, it's wrong because you've got to have better integrity than that. And we're not about deception in our family. We don't steal wine, especially at church. Right? I'm doing that. And secondly, it's not just about you, Joe. And then I start listing all the little kids. You know, what about Harold? And what about Jane? Like, what about them? Anyway, well, you're an example to them too. And then finally we get home, he hadn't stolen the wine. And the reason he knows that works for me is because I'm so scared of him becoming like I was when I was the same. And he knows I am. Because he's 14 and I was, he's way better than I was at 14. And way more uh, well behaved, much more socially adjusted. It's true. It is true. <laughs> he just said it's not true. Trying to get me burned up again. You know, he loves Jesus more than I did. He's just a better kid. But he knows how to stir me. Because when I was his age, life, I, I just had no respect. I, had, I, I was just getting in trouble all the time. And the worst thing is, I was a terrible criminal, so I always got caught. You know how like some kids get away with it? I never could get away with it. I remember when I was wagging one time, wagging school. Do we still say wag kids or what do we say these days? Yeah, ditching, wagging. I was wagging school. And it was a bit easier to get away with it then because it was before the days of mobile phones. So your mum couldn't ring you and say, where are you? So we were just wagging it. But usually the school I went to was pretty lax. They never did anything about it. But this day, they called mum and said Dave's wagging it. And so she had no kind of recompense, she didn't know what to do, so she just went driving, okay? Driving around where I might be. And, and, and she did it, and as she was driving, the fury was building, right? She's like getting frustrated. And you know, she, she's driving, the fury's building, and she found us. We were walking down, I can still remember it now, Wynnum Manly Pier, we were near the pier, any women people here, we're walking along and all of a sudden I just hear the Gemini. We had a Gemini, how embarrassing is that? Just skid next to us and I look out and she's instantly in Mike Tyson mode. So she just comes over, I'm with my friend Alan and she just starts punching me up. And I'm not even exaggerating for church purposes. Like she's, what the? Now she's, a, she's an old school Dutch woman. They don't 
you know, they don't reason, they just come out punching. And it was in, a, in the era where beating your kids up was just way more socially acceptable. You didn't even need to use a phone book, you could just beat them, right? So she's beating me up and my friend Alan's laughing at me, getting beaten up by my mum. There's just no way of getting out of it, I was caught red-handed. And there's no way I could have, like, talked my way out of that situation. You ever been caught and you just got no way out? Like when you're a kid and you flog something from the church for the... Oh, from the church. From the fridge! <laughs> from the fridge for the first time. The first time you steal a chocolate and you get caught and you're like so guilty and you're just red-handed and you don't know what to say and you choke over your words. You ever been there? I mean, I messed up so much as a kid. And with mum, after she finished bashing me, she sat down and she started trying to have like a rational conversation. <laughs> but I was a giggler, right? And so she started, Dave, you've got to understand. Like this is when she beat me up. I'm like, I think you need some help too. But you've got to understand this is going to infect, infect, affect your future. And I just started smirking. And there is nothing more infuriating than yelling at a kid and he smirks back at you. <laughs> There's nothing that drives you more insane and so I tried to hide it and look away pretending I was like moved by the conversation but then your shoulders take over and you start laughing and then she starts getting red in the face and I look over and I start laughing more and she starts swearing at me in Dutch and so I just start losing it and Mike Tyson comes back out no getting out of that you ever messed up? I mean I've messed up I've messed up a bunch of times, and I've got caught a bunch of times, and I've got away with it a bunch of times. But I've messed up heaps, and I've not just messed up myself, I've also trekked and walked and journeyed with a lot of my friends who've messed up as well. I've got a friend, and he's not from this church, and he's not anyone you guys know. You might be surprised that I have friends that aren't you. I've got other friends too. Healthy, and healthy. Yeah, all right, it's good. It's good for me to have other friends. And uh, he, he's got a life, a beautiful wife, two amazing children, a house near the beach, great job, you know, career prospects, just one of those guys that, you know, good looking dude, just a, a good guy. And one day he actually had an affair. This is a guy I was walking with for years. He cheated on his wife. He was working at work and they hired a new co-worker and he and this co-worker became friends over the lunchroom, you know, just friendly banter at the start. And then it grew into like text messages through the day, but then text messages after hours. And eventually they were on a sales trip together and they ended up sleeping together. And, and I remember talking to him about it and I remember asking about the fallout and the process and what exactly it felt like. I'm like, what is that even like? How do you, how do you, Get past that, what do you do? And he said that the second it was over, his world crumbled. It wasn't like there was this period of bliss. He was like, the second it was over, it was like my heart was going to stop. Like, I just destroyed everything in a moment of stupidity, it was done. Instant regret, his life as he knew it was over. And he messed up big time. And as we were chatting, he's like, there's just no way for me to reverse my mistakes. I'm done. He messed up. I've messed up. 
Today we're going to look at two people in the Bible who messed up. Now that doesn't narrow it down much because there's a lot of people in the Bible who mess up. But these two people messed up so badly that they found themselves crucified for their life of crime. These two had been so rotten, so deceptive, so just evil in their life that they were facing capital punishment. So the Romans in Jesus' day still practiced capital punishment. You know, death as a sentence. You know, sometimes by hanging. In this era, usually by crucifixion. And these two guys, I'm not going to say coincidentally, but they found themselves hanging next to Jesus on the day Jesus was crucified. So if you've got your Bibles, let's explore these guys. There's going to be a PowerPoint up here. Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 26. Now, you might know that for the past 12 years of, I've only ever had black and white PowerPoints. And then Canva got invented. Does anyone know Canva? You basically just put your, your script in and it looks like this. That looks good. Come on, say good work, Dave. Yeah, look at that. Fancy. Hope you can see it, because that would be the main thing. Alright, Luke 23. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon of Cy from Cyrene, who was on his way from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned to them turn and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. And it's an interesting thing, you know, and we'll keep reading just a side note. Like even in his time of trial, he was looking at his loved ones and ministering to them. I mean, this Jesus we serve, he is next level amazing. It says from verse 29, For the time will come, when you will say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Now verse 32, we're introduced to these two criminals. So verse 32 says, two other men, both criminals, were led out with him, to be executed. They, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. It's interesting, something as horrific as they crucified him there is reduced to one sentence. And sometimes we can lose the magnitude of what this is like. Like a crucifixion was the most, the most excruciating death you can imagine. Like you die from suffocation, like you're pinned and you're, you're eventually your lungs just can't take any more air in them. You suffocate on your own self. Horrendous. You know, not, uh, you know, nails through your feet, nails through your hands. I mean, these guys were in absolute agony. And you've got Jesus in the middle. You've got one thief on one side and one on the other. And in that moment, post-crucifixion, Verse 34, Jesus said, forgive them. The them he's talking about is the crucifiers and the Romans. You know, he's doing business 
with the Heavenly Father on behalf of those who had just <coughs> crucified Him? I don't know about you, but if you did that to me, I'm not praying for you. Maybe I'm praying you get shot by lightning. This is just next level love. To love us when we're doing that to Him, that's incredible. I mean, that's, that's next level. Jesus said, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Verse 34b, and it says, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Verse 35, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Messiah, the chosen one. Right? That's not a declaration of praise. That's a sarcastic sneer. I can save others. Do it yourself then. Save yourself. Verse 38. There was, written, there was a written notice above him which reads, This is the king of the Jews. Now, look at these two criminals' reactions to Jesus. Alright? Verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him saying, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly and we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, You'll be with me in paradise. What an incredible account of the sacrifice of Jesus. In amongst all his pain, he's ministering to those who are crucifying him. But I want to focus on this transaction he has with these two criminals. Because these two criminals, they're, they're the example of how people respond to Jesus when we mess up. They typify the two responses we can have within ourselves, when we find ourselves caught out, when we blow it, when we mess it up, when we just completely lose the plot. I mean, these two, these two were guilty. They were literally in a place where there's no way to get out of their position. Right? You're stuck. I don't know if you've ever messed up enough that you're stuck. I have. I've been stuck so many times. And, and it's a very horrible place to be. These two criminals are the definition of stuck. One of the criminals recognises his own brokenness. The other criminal takes issue with the very person who can get him off the hook. It's what it's like when we mess up. Back to my mate who had the affair. Is there anything he could do to make up for that betrayal? I mean, if he cooked dinner, mowed the lawn, and served her diligently for the rest of his life, would that make it right? No, doesn't reverse it. If he took her on fancy holidays four times a year and lavished her with gifts that were sparkly and shiny, would that make it right? What's his only hope for restoration? 
to appeal to the one he wronged. That's his only hope for restoration is to appeal to the one he wronged. Because she was the one that was wronged, she is the one with the power to forgive. She can choose to hold it against him, or she can choose to let him off the hook. Right? Now, this woman is a woman of grace far beyond me being a man of grace. She actually forgave him. And they worked through it. And today, they have a flourishing marriage. But she had the right to tell him to get lost. And she had the right to tell him to move out. And she had the right to hold it against him, but instead she chose forgiveness, no strings attached. And that's a miracle. Now, I'm not naive to think that's what's gonna happen in that situation every time, but in that situation, a miracle happened. Here's the miracle of Jesus. Every one of us is represented by one of these criminals. Every one of us has wronged somebody. Right? We've wronged in the natural. I wronged my mum by a wagon school. This friend wronged his wife. Like we've all wronged people, but actually on a bigger scale, all sin is sin against God. He's the one we wrong. You know, and, and we actually deserve punishment for our life of crying. Now you might think, but I've actually not wag school and I've actually not had an affair and I didn't kill my annoying uncle who always ruins Christmas. Like, I'm, I'm not there. But what we've got to understand is that perfection is the standard for eternal salvation. And unless you've been living under a rock, you cannot achieve perfection. Right? So our sins, our brokenness, our, our, um, our misdeeds put a wedge between us and Jesus. They, they put a chasm between us. They put some barrier between us. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Are you part of an all? You know how they normally say, turn to the person next to you and say, you look brilliant today. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a sinner today. <laughs> We've all messed up. We've all wagged school, done something stupid. We've all done something dumb. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the next, next verse, Romans 3.24 says, And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to just read verse 23. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The first criminal takes issue with Jesus and stands in pride and calls him out, even though he's the very person who has the power to get him off the hook. You know, sometimes in our pride, we can hold on and justify our actions. I've, I've got the right to do this. They wronged me. I've got the right to hold on to anger and bitterness. I've got the right. But we lay that right down when we came to Christ. 
We can't be like that first criminal who's literally on his deathbed and looks saving in the face and says, no thanks. <laughs> the second criminal goes, shut up, man. <laughs> Australian standard person, shut up, idiot. <laughs> our deeds have got us to this place where we deserve our punishment. This man has done nothing. And then he turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Jesus says, what? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Does that criminal have an opportunity to respond to an altar call or do the alpha course or get baptized or tithe or do anything good for anyone else? What's his salvation hinged upon? Christ alone and nothing else. He is the quintessential example of what grace looks like. This dude was a dirtbag till five minutes before he died, and he was reconciled because he said, Jesus, remember me. Amen. Remember me. As far as like prayers for salvation go, I think that's the best one. You know, sometimes we do a really long one and we repeat after me, and that's all fine and good, but I just love the heart of this guy. Remember me. I want Jesus to remember me. Because I'm that second criminal. I'm a guy who messes up, but just has to come continually back to Jesus and say, remember me. He remembers you. He looks at every person in this room and solves the sin problem. We don't use the word sin much in culture anymore. It's like a word nobody likes to say or hear, but I think it's important, especially on Easter, especially on Good Friday, to remember the gravity and the weight of what it cost Jesus. I talk to my friend's wife about the heartbreak and to forgive her husband cost her. It cost her humiliation. It cost her pain. It cost her... I mean, if anyone had the ultimate trump card in a, like, argument, you know, you did this, she did, and it cost her everything, but she chose to forgive. It cost Jesus everything, and he still went through with it. <laughs> I love babies. They, all, they, they cry in the cry moment of church. And then yesterday, who loved it? Alice, don't go. No, she's too naughty, Dad. But look how cute she is. And check out the little top knot. I love it. Is Ryan and Bonnie here? Last night, we were praying, and it was like the Passover meal, and it was the like real heavy prayer at the end. And then Albie blew up. Something happened. I think he hit his head or something. And so Bonnie walked him out of the church and he just screamed out, I don't want to go! It's like if everyone had zeal for the church like Albie, man, we'd be exploding. What I was saying is it cost my friend's wife to extend forgiveness. And it cost Jesus his life. So on one hand, we want to spend this weekend in celebration in standing on the fact that we have been set free. But on the other hand, we don't want cheap grace. 
when you've understood the gravity of your sin and then been set free from that, you can't live in cheap grace anymore. You just can't. Like, I can't stomach the idea of intentionally ruining my relationship with God anymore because he set me free from so much stupidity. You know, when you're free and you know you've been broken, man, you live like you're free indeed. So this weekend, as you're stuffing your face with Easter bunnies and hanging out with family members and doing all you're doing and beating up your 14-year-old, as you're doing all that stuff, on one hand, celebrate. And on one hand, sit in it. It's good for us to sit in what we've been set free from. Not to beat ourselves up, not to think that we can do it ourselves, but to be reminded of how good the grace of Jesus Christ is. We are blessed. Let's pray.